I'm Elizabeth Chopin, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology UK. Welcome to the Design Dialogues. This is the first installment of a six-part series focused on travel and design, produced in partnership with Accor. Today I'm speaking to Tom Parker and Andy Goodwin, co-founders of Fettle Design, an interior design practice based in London and Los Angeles, with hospitality projects including Schwanlock, The Elder in Bath, The Hoxton Portland, the Marlebone Hotel, and most recently, Deco Gem, the Georgian in Santa Monica. Today we'll tackle the question, what is modern luxury in travel in and Andy. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so let's talk about modern luxury in 2023. Can you both remember the first travel experience you had that you felt was luxurious? What stood out to you and what made an impression? I think from my end, we kind of, as a, as a family, when we were quite young, we used to go to Greece every couple of years and we'd go to like a different island each time. So every two or three years, the kind of accommodation and the, you know, the travel details and stuff weren't necessarily luxurious in their own right. I remember it feeling very luxurious because everything was so different. The fact that you were immersed in it was a luxury in itself. It's a novelty. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. What about you, Andy? My dad's a super outdoorsy kind of guy. So he'd take us camping in the woods in Welsh hillsides and get away from everything, which as a child is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing maybe. But I think these days that would be the idea of heaven for me, let alone luxury. The idea of like totally being away from the modern world. In fact, he's got a birthday coming up in yeah next couple of weeks. And uh, my brothers and I are going to be taking him away to North Yorkshire to do something similar. Lovely. Finally repaying the favour. Maybe this time I'll enjoy it a little more. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of sulking around. Yeah, or getting dragged up the side of hills and (laughs) asking to be carried or whatever I was doing in those days. I mean, it's interesting though what you say about that space and time is a luxury. That's something that is coming up a lot in our discussions about this, that time is a luxury. And it kind of leads on to my next question, because you work in this area of creating spaces where people come and have experiences, either eating, sleeping, staying. How do you define modern luxury and travel now? I think we're in a funny niche because a lot of our projects, particularly hotel projects, are really kind of more lifestyle focused brands that have luxury experience elements. And I think I'd say we approach the luxury market from an interesting perspective in that we don't work with your traditional luxury brands or, or brands you just traditionally associate with luxury like the Bellmans. We're working with hotels that are much more kind of lifestyle driven. And I think in that way, the luxury element is always kind of much more lifestyle and experience focused. But don't you think in some ways that's the way luxury is going in the sense that the consumer of luxury or what, however you want to define it looks different these days. A tech millionaire could have Nikes and a hoodie on and still be consuming luxury, but it's just a different ballgame now, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I think luxury is it's a difficult term really in that it's totally defined by the individual. I think that more and more the experience and the feelings, emotive 
the emotive feelings of, of the end user are things that are considered more than, say, things that I would consider traditionally luxurious, which is always, I suppose, opulence, which is probably not like a defining characteristic of the luxury markets. In some ways, luxury has kind of become a dirty word in certain circles. You know, people are turned off by the idea of it in the sense that it can be ostentatious. In that sense, I think notions of luxury have changed and expanded from what you can see and feel into experiences as well. A consumer that might have traditionally turned to a luxury hotel is turning to a lifestyle hotel with luxury elements, like you say. And that reflects a different kind of mentality, doesn't it? I think it's almost contradictory as well between generations. And it feels like maybe it's the first time it's been that way. I feel like maybe 10 or 20 years ago, there's probably quite a commonly accepted idea of what luxury was in the hotel and travel industry. What do you think it was? I think it was a more kind of that classic idea of luxury that was driven potentially more by aesthetics and by look and feel particularly more so than by emotion or experience in a way. And I think these days, what's luxury for one generation is probably, like you touched on, kind of the polar opposite for younger generations, for example. Classic luxury markets have always felt to me quite unapproachable. Tom and I have been lucky enough to be in lots of amazing luxury hotels over the years and very dry entrance lobbies traditionally. And I'm not saying that that's the same for all, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I would consider that experience nowadays as a luxury environment. I don't feel comfortable in that kind of world. And therefore, it's not going to be what I would associate with luxury yet in some of the lifestyle brands that we work with. Yes, yeah, those environments I do feel much more luxurious and, and the experience is, is related all the way through. Having said that, I mean, look, there's a place for those more traditional luxury markets. When we were talking about doing this podcast, Tom and I was talking about an experience I had in the Badroot Palace Hotel, which I was lucky enough to stay at when I was, I was working on a project a long time ago. And the level of luxury in that hotel is unbelievable. The guy in the reception remembered the last time that I'd gone there that I'd forgotten my toothbrush, so presented me one as I arrived. Wow. Different level of luxury, and, and maybe that's not something I'm used to, but that kind of level of service is always important. And I think that's something that a lot of our clients are trying to really push is the quality of the service that they can provide. And yeah. our job is to facilitate that within the work that we do and, and the layouts and the operational requirements that we have to kind of fit into the work that we do. Of course. What do you think the modern design savvy traveler is looking for in 2023? And there is going to be a crossover with luxury there in the hotels that you're working in. I would say that the modern day traveler is looking for an experience when they go away that's not just focused on that hotel, Mm -hmm. but it's within that local area. They want to be immersed in the local community. and, And the only way of doing that is to allow that to kind of influence the public areas of a hotel or the design of the guest room Mm -hmm. or the design of the experiences that you can have within that specific hotel. 20 years ago, a luxury hotel, the experience might have involved a certain grandiosity of the lobby and a concierge and red carpet service. One thing that I wanted to ask you about is the difference in what a younger generation feels as luxury versus an older generation. And I think that's true. I mean, Generation Z there seems to be a big backlash against ostentation and this move towards less but better. They want to go places that are aligned with their values and they're waste averse and they're aware of sustainability, but they also really want a beautifully designed space and they want to feel like it's special. They want it all. So, they want it all, yeah. <laughs> That's what the luxury market's there for, right? That must make your job quite difficult in a way. How much of that comes through when you're briefed for these jobs? Did these things come into it? 
the briefs haven't necessarily specifically changed, but I think the overall culture of the industry has changed in that there's been forerunners in the industry that have really opened up this market and shown that you can be sustainable and waste adverse and have these beautiful environments. You know, I think you can create incredible spaces that are authentic, that are tied to their location, mm-hmm. that are low waste, in which all of the finishes and the furniture and lighting is all sustainably sourced in almost all of our projects as an element of tradition. And, and in that way, we end up working kind of across a lot of renovation work, like the Georgian Hotel yeah. as an example, and One Warwick that the London team have been finishing as an example. And I think probably because we have an element of traditional work, people who are renovating older buildings consider us for their projects, which we love. And, and in that way, kind of keeping these buildings alive rather than demolishing them and completely remaking them from the ground up. It's about the longevity as well, right? Mm. Tom and I kind of specialise within hospitality design, but there's other fields within the industry where you're not fortunate enough to be designing something that's going to be lasting 15, oh, like 15, 20, 25 years. Like the lifespan of the projects that we work on, there is a longevity there that's probably in most cases beyond that. But yeah. I don't think I'd be as comfortable working in a space where it was more fashion led yeah yeah to be honest and and where things that you were designing were getting ripped out i think we're incredibly lucky with the clients that we work with that they give us the budgets that allow us to put quality into the design work and the finishes that have a longevity to them and that that links back i think quite heavily to your question because it's not just about using sustainable materials and i don't know you've got a recrained alt rock worktop or whatever i mean yeah that's important and that's something that we'll definitely do but it's also about making sure that you're designing something that's going to last the test of time absolutely all the way through the process you've mentioned the new members club you've designed one work in london which i happened to be in last night oh amazing <laughs> it is amazing i really love it there that roof terrace is going to be pretty special in summertime if it ever stops being cold in london <laughs> i had a dinner there earlier this week and it was equally as rainy but yeah, yeah. give it a few months it will be spectacular it will there. be but the building is really beautiful and although it is in a hotel i wanted to talk about it today because I think it represents a new kind of premium hospitality design that is beautifully finished, but still laid back, which I think encapsulates a new kind of luxury. So not as stuffy, but still high quality. As you say, there's a longevity in the design. It's really going to age well, and it feels accessible somehow and nice to be in. So Thank you very much. Yeah. Success. But I wondered, what are some of the key elements that make that space luxurious and how it crossovers with some of your work in new hotels. We could also talk about the Georgian because that opens this week, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it opens officially this week. It feels like it's been soft opening for about six months, but it's it's officially open this week. (laughs) The design of One Warwick came out of a collaboration really with the client team and it's the second venue in London. It's the second venue for Maslow's. Talking about what we do, what we're talking about today, the name Maslow's is derived from Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and it being about more than an aesthetic mm-hmm. aspiration. You are, you are looking to Guy and his vision for those projects have always been about creating a space that fulfills all needs. So during the day for your working environment, wellness is embedded through the scheme. The F&B venues in the space are as good as any in the market. Reviews have come out recently at the restaurant, which are incredibly positive. I mean, the, the thing that you touched on about it being residential was one of the first things that Guy said when he met Tom and I all those years ago now. It's also kind of to do with the area. So you're in that funny bottom edge of Soho and we wanted really to link into that bohemian nature and that culture that was in Soho for many, many years. We were trying to really pare back the finishes, architecturally at least, So we exposed the structure of the building wherever we could. 
when we did add new finishes to the walls, we had like raw plaster on the ground floor. And where we do have, say, more slightly grandiose elements of the members' entrance lobby, for example, the floor pattern in there is very much lifted from the original. It's a modern interpretation of the kind of Edwardian Baroque history of the building. But then we finished that in a terrazzo rather than a marble as it would have been done originally or a stone. So that, again, just just slightly trying to bring that up to date. Yeah, the lobby feels really refined. It's almost like you step off the street that is slightly chaotic into this, what feels like a quite refined entrance and calm. It's quite calm, yeah. But also everything is really beautifully done. In that space particularly as well, I think it was the FF&E that we really had to kind of push. Mm-hmm. Because say more than even more to my house, more my house is in a slightly different area and probably slightly more elevated in some of the architectural finishes. But because we weren't doing that, because where we, where the building was in Soho, we probably pushed it a little further than the client team had done previously with the use of some of the leathers that we specified or the mohairs or the fabric specifically. There was a number of bespoke light fittings and most of the FF&E was either really high quality vintage that we sourced or was bespoke made for the project. So yeah. I think that we worked quite closely with the client team because we were really elevating the FF&E, but then probably pairing back with the, the architectural finishes. Do you think that 15 or 20 years ago, a members club like that would be, it would be okay to specify vintage? You know, I think that's an example of how things have changed in a way. You know, people are open to having vintage specified in that sort of a space that has an element of exclusivity. I'm not sure whether that would have been done 20 years. I don't think it would because I think that would have probably felt almost cheapening the experience in some way because it isn't bespoke and brand new and for the project. And it's kind of this movement away from something that's a bit more, say, ostentatious, I suppose, in the luxury market. In some ways, the pandemic actually has fast-tracked this a little bit. I feel like during that period, because off-the-shelf items became almost unattainable you know, due to lead times, although we were headed this way anyway, I think suddenly you know, there's all these amazing existing pieces that are already in circulation. And not only that, but taking them, restoring them and, and in, installing them is also a much more sustainable process than building something brand new. So I think that period of time where you know, is either go custom on a lot of stuff or find vintage pieces. And it kind of, it helped fast track that process for sure, I think. Yeah. Was it the same thing with the Georgian? Let's talk about the Georgian for a minute. The Georgian is not as old as uh, one Warwick architecturally, but it was built, for those people that don't know the Georgian, it's on the shorefront in the heart of Santa Monica, overlooks the ocean and has views all up to Malibu, but it's an eight story Art Deco building built in 1933. At the time, it was the tallest skyscraper in Santa Monica. It's basically amongst a, a kind of line of white, more modern building. It's a very, very bright blue, very bold kind of Wes Anderson looking building, you know, right on the ocean. And, and in that way, it had this kind of given style already. It's got this very kind of deco feel. It feels very traditional. It's kind of Miami Beach lands in LA. Yeah, exactly. And it's an interesting one because the art deco element, and we drew from that a lot during the project. And mm-hmm. the art deco element, as art deco kind of moved across Europe and then particularly as it hit kind of East Coast US, there started to be these little shifts and changes in some of the little details of art deco. And then as it moved further west across the US, the art deco you know moment in the sort of western side of the US was always slightly staggered behind what was happening in Europe and what's happening on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. as it's moved west, it's kind of picked up more kind of Latin American details and South American details. And a lot of the same details you see in the architecture of Miami, and particularly a lot of the details we looked at were the kind of Cuban end of Art Deco, the Art Deco movement, and particularly kind of a lot of the architecture of Havana and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So you see that a lot in the little custom floor patterns in the bar. There's little kind of geometric details that you don't always associate with Art Deco, particularly in Europe. 
Um, there's more kind of motif work. There's a lot of kind of tile inlays that are, that are quite kind of geometric. And I think that stuff lent itself very well to the building. It's not the kind of stuff we'd necessarily do on every project. And it's very different. Aesthetically, it's very different. It's more overtly traditional feeling, I think, than something like One Warwick and particularly stuff that we do, like Sundance Mountain Resort that we're doing in Utah, which is an old property created by Robert Redford in the late 60s. Again, it's a completely, you know, that what we're doing at Georgia just wouldn't be appropriate for One Warwick and yeah. it wouldn't be appropriate for Sundance. There's these big differences, I think, between what the building calls for, really, in a lot of our work, particularly restoration. True. We were given a bit of a gift there with, yeah. uh, with the Georgian Hotel, in, in all honesty. Now we'll hear a short message from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Aaron Rana, interior designer at Accor. At Raffles, we say true luxury is not just about what you do, but it's about how you feel. From the food you eat to the way you sleep and the space around you, wellness is integrated into the whole Raffles experience. The Raffles Emotional Wellbeing Program focuses on three core pillars, harmonious design, nutrition for pleasure, and serenity rituals. The Design for Harmony pillar looks at structural materials, furniture, lighting, colours, textures, sounds and scents. The guests journey through the space and how they interact with staff, all of which has the power to evoke emotions and leave a lingering impression. We look to instill balance through design to create a welcoming symphony of pleasure and serenity for guests. The thing about the Georgian is that the interiors don't seem like a pastiche. You know, you haven't just tried to recreate an interior that might have been in that hotel when it first opened. It's definitely modern. Yeah, I think I think one of the big sort of narrative parts of the brief that we developed with Boulevard, who was a client for that, John and Nico, was that we weren't trying to architecturally restore the Georgian to what it would have been in its heyday, which was essentially kind of the 30s, 40s, and early 50s. It was really about restoring the spirit of what we felt it would have felt like, the glamour and like the frivolity. And the, mm-hmm. there's these amazing old stories about there was offshore gambling ships. So, so people would stay at the Georgian for a long weekend and then they'd go out to the end of the pier and get a shuttle boat out to these gambling ships. And there's this huge ah. feeling of kind of glamour around the building. They'd be like these weekend long Sessions. It was a den of iniquity. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was like a, this bar in the basement that we've restored, but it wasn't ever about reinserting previous architectural details. We went through all the photos and we went through all the historic information, but it was really about taking these little touches. And in, in, in many ways, it's quite a modern color palette. It had to fit into the Californian coastline, so it has to be bright and fresh. They've got a huge amount of European travelers that come to the Georgian, and so they're not coming to stay in some kind of old antique of a building that's dark and moody. It essentially has to feel like it's part of the Californian coastline. It, for that reason, it's a lot of the public areas are so kind of bright and fresh, but then they have these little touches of a lot of the furniture detailing has traditional elements to it but then the palettes are more modern i think we find that across a lot of our projects we rarely do projects that are super traditional that's part of our process right yeah yeah what about the rooms what are the rooms like at the georgian the rooms are relatively simple again they're very very bright and fresh the furniture detailing again goes there's a hint of tradition to it the most interesting thing about the rooms and and probably in in some ways about what the client's trying to achieve at that building is that service particularly in, on the west side of LA, is non-existent, that you don't get this kind of classic service. And I think service is a thing that, and Andy touched on it earlier about the kind of toothbrush story, which is hilarious. There's <laughs> been a sort of slipping in, in service standards and the client's obsessed with like impeccable service and everything has to be kind of seamless. The room's a great example in that there's a custom illuminated kind of big backlit bar in the room's and on that, there's a brass panel and you have these 
four buttons on the panel and you there's one that says you know press for champagne and the champagne cart comes up but then at the bottom as you're kind of going through the check-in process they take your favorite drink so also on this panel is it just says the usual and you can press this button and someone will come up with a cocktail trolley basically and they'll mix you your favorite drink an old-fashioned in your case then tom yeah? anything really at this stage <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think your description of wes anderson is on point it can't sound more wes anderson if it tried you know the old-fashioned mm. cart and all the color and the kind of quirky champagne buttons. It is a contrast with the laid back California vibe, I imagine. Yeah. But it's funny that you say that because California and the US, we know what tipping culture is, what you're demanded to tip. So it's interesting to hear that standards have been slipping in service. You know, I'm sure it's a massive sweeping generalization that I've made there. But I, I, I think, you know, particularly in certain parts of LA, you know, hoteliers kind of take for granted their location and there's certain things that get a little bit left behind. I also just think it's, you know, a lot of the hotel brands you look at these days just through technology services changing and not necessarily that it's slipping, but certainly the way people check in or the way people, even, you know, when you make your hotel bookings, for the most part, you're not necessarily phoning someone up to make a hotel booking. There's less service in the entire process and as such, it's maybe become less of a focal point. Mm. And I mean, that's true for even the top end luxury hotels, isn't it? Yeah. I'm interested to hear how you'd compare ideas of luxury or even just specific projects that you've done in each place. So take the Georgian compared to the Elder in Bath, which is a completely different kettle of fish in some ways, but it's a historic building that you preserved some of the character of that building and with the elder quite a a lot of it, I'd say. But I'm sure that there were differences as far as your approach. I think in some ways, although the locations are very different, that both those hotels are interested in. The Georgian, for example, people are going there largely because of location, largely because of access to great beaches in Santa Monica. You've got super easy access to Malibu. Although the hotel is beautifully designed and you'll spend some time there, you're almost using the hotel as a stepping stone because it's so tied into the surrounding area. And you can access all of these other places that you can't access. It's escapism at the end of the day. Actually, something like the Elder is a starting point to explore the locality yeah well it's bath isn't it so world heritage site we were again we're fortunate in many of our projects but the ones that we've talked about today were probably some of our biggest gifts the elder was five six townhouses that were knocked together to form the hotel i think there was a series of maybe three or four guest houses there previously now what they had done was not particularly sympathetic to the existing building and the existing timber paneling and the structure of, of the space we were more archaeologists than we were necessarily interior designers. So I think over the four rooms, there are 22 different types of timber paneling that were all heritage listed. We could not touch. So where we had those, we had to retain, protect and refinish. I think going back to what you were saying before, the demographic really in the two areas really defines how we need to approach the design process and, and the end result. I think it's fairly obvious that most of our Projects are relatively, we use colour a lot and we try and be super playful with that. I think maybe within a project like The Elder, we were slightly more restrained given the demographic of people that are likely to go there than say we would do in in the Georgian, for example. But the approach is very similar. It's just we have to gear that down or up to make it suitable for the client and and the the guests that they're looking to serve. Before you work on these projects, do you create a profile of who you expect to be coming it's certainly something that we consider i don't know necessarily whether we'd always create a profile but it would definitely be in our thought process as 
often the client will, as part of their briefing document, they will kind of inform you on what they believe their target demographic would be. And Tom and I are super lucky in that we work with clients often and we've got a lot of kind of repeat clients. So the more that you work with a client, the more you understand the kind of idiosyncrasies around their specific target audience Mm -hmm. and you can tailor the design to suit. Sure. What are some of those idiosyncrasies and are there different ones now than there were before? It can be tiny little things. Like we've got one, the client for the Georgian actually, and we were laughing about this the other day, but they hate having the backs of bar stools have gaps in them because they're obsessed with the idea that someone's going to sit on it and you can you can see their... Their underpants? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can see yeah. their... At best, you can see their underpants. <laughs> well, I persuaded him that we could basically ignore his little idiosyncrasy and we developed a bar stool that had gaps in it. As much as I hate to admit it, John Blanchard was right and it makes complete sense. But every client's got things, I guess, a lot of it's stuff they've learned through kind of previous mistakes. We rarely work with, especially on the hotel end of the spectrum, we're very rarely working with first-time hoteliers. Like A lot of these people are generally older than us. They generally have built hotels previously. There's exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, yeah. our clients are very experienced in what they're doing and they come with these sort of inbuilt ideas, right or wrong, these inbuilt ideas of how things should work and then we can either choose to fight against them like the gappy bastards or just go with it. Yeah. And what do you think the key signifiers are of luxury today in terms of materials and scale and wellness and F&B. Going back to the start of our discussion, there is a sort of crossover now, isn't there? There are not just luxury hotels and just lifestyle hotels. These worlds are kind of meshing. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Yeah. I think what we're seeing across the board with our clients in Europe and in the US and the other places we're working is that a huge amount of what they would consider luxury and in turn kind of what we design for is really experience driven i think they're less concerned about driving luxury through finishes or through aesthetics and it's more about how the building connects to its location and the experiences that you can derive from that like the georgian for example one of the buttons in the room is a beach picnic and so you press the button they arrange everything for you and you get this little kind of tent on the beach and it's very, very high-end kind of laid out picnic that you go down for on in the heart of Santa Monica in like kind of private beach area. So I think instead of necessarily being about what finishes you visually see, tactile surfaces I think are still very important, but I think even that's changed to be kind of less polished in a way and more honest. From our experience, at least, it's more about the experiences that the hotel gives you access to in many ways. Mm-hmm. A luxury experience needs to be exceptional whether that is the sustainable credentials, the aesthetic. It's very difficult to define exactly like what luxury is within a general market. But as a rule, I totally agree with what Tom's saying, that the experience of the guest, emotional response that people have to the spaces that we design is the most important thing. And that's really one of the most significant elements that is relevant for all of our projects. Yeah. And I think there's also like a huge element of maybe more so than previously, there's a a huge element of escapism and whether that's just the times we're in or the, you know, the pandemic or our access to different aesthetics. I think you want something very different when you go away now, maybe more so than we have before. Sundance is a really good example because it's this kind of mountain resort that's extremely rustic and extremely cabiny. And in no ways would you look at a photo of it and think it's luxury, but you're on a hillside completely surrounded by trees in what's essentially a cabin with very poor internet from experience but you know in in that way it's 
completely in a different realm from your day-to-day life and I think although that's I mean that's always obviously been a feature in hospitality and hotel design but there's a level of escapism in every single project we do whether that's yeah. Georgian or whether it's Elder or whether it's Sundance or you know Vegas or Paris or whatever we're working on. Yeah I think it's interesting what you're saying about this idea of experience and people wanting to escape and how that's what people are really after and I agree with that versus stay in a hotel that will give them sort of a status symbol. The idea of luxury has changed in the sense that you're right. It does seem to be a lot more about having an experience. It's interesting that you touched on that there. I think, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean it's necessarily different from what's happening before, because a lot of times the experience itself is the kind of status symbol in a way. Yeah. Interesting. I think that I'd like to end this conversation by asking you both what trips you have planned. Where are you hoping to get away to? Or if you don't have anything planned in your fantasy world, where would you be going? I have some trips planned. <laughs> they are not necessarily super luxury. Well, I've got two. One is, one isn't. So I'm going away with the family mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks at Easter holidays down to Whitstable, nice. down at the Kent coast mm-hmm. with some family and, and their kids as well. So that'd be lovely. Get out of the city for a bit. Classic British experience. Exactly. And then something probably a little bit more classic luxury i would say hopefully a trip over to see tom and uh some of the projects over in la later on towards the back end of the year that nice that will be my luxury moment tom will obviously be responsible for delivering that luxury experience that we've been no pressure about. tom will you be staying at the georgian i hope so i don't know maybe maybe we'll see you can stay in my spare bedroom it's okay if they've gotten over the bar stools by then maybe they'll <laughs> yeah, stay exactly there. don't exactly. sit in the bar yeah. stool if you've got low slung trousers like andy um, what about you tom i'm always doing the vice versa of Andy I'm, we're planning to come to the UK for three weeks It'd be like part work part fun really I think it's known as Blesher which is the oh, yeah. worst word Blesher. I've ever heard in Blesher. my entire life it's horrible and it'd probably be a longer stay we're looking like sort of three weeks to a month in the UK and then uh, the trip we've been planning for ages there's a, a place in Nosara in Costa Rica which there's some amazing kind of little resorts down there and again it kind of goes back to the escapism element you know we were touching on it's like a small little kind of beach town basically with amazing rainforest around it and a lot of kind of access to nature great surfing beautiful do you surf yeah yeah oh how fun so perfect for LA yeah it's handy to be honest it's good it's like net business networking out here (laughs) that's kind of how I met Nico and John from the Georgian but one of the client team from the Georgian surfs a lot as well so it's one of the ways we kind of got to know each other was it's like golf in the UK and surfing in the in the US. Basically. I was about to say there's not there's not a great deal of surf in central London. <laughs> <laughs> I have to find something else. You have to go to the pub. Yeah, that is, well, that's that's fine. Oh well, it was so nice to talk to you both. Thank you so much for talking to me Thank about you your much. beautiful work. And long may it continue. And I will definitely be going to the Georgian next time I'm home. So. I'll see you there. Yeah, let us know. We'll take you for a tour and avoid the bastards. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. This series is produced in partnership with hospitality group Accor. Please tune in next Friday when we'll deep dive into culinary heritage, terroir, and the role of food and travel. Thanks for listening.